Good morning again. If you're just tuning in, my name is Sam McLaughlin, and I'm one of the pastors here. If you're a visitor, we're so glad that you're here to worship with us. We would love for you to sign up for our email newsletter or join us today at Bellmead 101. Those are two great ways to learn about our church. Today is the second Sunday in our new sermon series called One Wild and Precious Life. This phrase comes from the poem The Summer Day by Mary Oliver in which she asks the reader, tell me what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? As Christians, we believe that Jesus has gifted us a beautiful, abundant, wild, and precious life. As we begin this new year and set new intentions, we are going to explore who he is and how he calls us to live. Last week, I asked you to start thinking of your life as a story. Think about Jesus as the author and perfecter, but you as a character who gets to choose your own adventure and listen for the ways that he calls you to live. We also talked about viewing scripture as a collection of stories about who God is and who we are in relationship to God. This month, we are looking at stories from the book of Matthew hoping that they inspire us to claim this one wild and precious life that we only have one shot at living. Today, following our story about wise men visiting Jesus and their decision to shed their old lives in exchange for a new life in Christ, we flip the storybook page over to a bunch of fishermen. So imagine it with me. Jesus is walking along the shoreline. We aren't told what time of day it is or what the conditions were like. We do know that the Sea of Galilee is actually a freshwater lake. So imagine it. It's 33 miles in circumference, 13 miles long, and 8 miles wide. As Jesus is walking, he sees Simon Peter and Andrew casting their net into the lake for their livelihood, for their business. He calls out to them in the middle of their work. He says, come and follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. I will offer you a different way of life. And the text says, immediately they left their nets and followed him. As Jesus walked further down the shoreline, he ran into a second set of brothers, James and John, and they were mending their nets. He called to them, and again, the text says, immediately Not only did they leave their boat, but they leave their father, and they follow him. Now, we know from the verses preceding this story that King Herod had silenced John the Baptist by throwing him in prison. Many people believe that Jesus had come to Galilee to replace John, to continue to preach repentance and the kingdom of heaven. What we don't know is if these brothers had caught wind of Jesus or heard his message from other people. We see no explanation of who he is or what he's calling them to do. We hear no proclamation of his kingdom in the moment that they say yes. But we do know that these brothers were among many people suffering under Roman control Rome had just taken power, taken over Galilee after destroying Jerusalem and its temple in 70 CE. In his gospel, written shortly after this, Matthew describes Roman rule as darkness and death. And so when Jesus appears in this context, 
He offers another way of life. And we have to believe that, partly at least, they are so willing to drop everything and follow him because the presence of his light and the prospect of his lordship was better than the condition that they were living in. A few years ago, I was at a conference in Florida at this very time of year called MLAB. It was a gathering of United Methodist pastors from three conferences in the Southeast. It was focused on innovative thinking and experimentation with new ideas. I thought that the overall premise of moving our ideas to design to implementation was helpful, but they sort of lost me with the flashy lights and the dry ice on the tables. There were some incredible and challenging speakers, and it was a great time of colleague network building, but it was really the very last moment of the conference that has stuck with me. They gave each of us a paper measuring stick. They told all the women to cut off all the years past 81. I can't tell you why that is now, but we only got to live till 81. Then they had us to tear off the front end Uh, all the numbers before our current age. At the time, I was 32. And so there I was, holding up these numbers between 32 and 81, examining all that I had left of my life. I stuck it in my purse. You can see it's tattered and about to fall off at 50 and covered with coffee. But I hold on to it because it's the reminder to live with urgency to live with purpose, that I only have this one wild and precious life. See, today Jesus is offering an invitation and a challenge to do something with your one wild and precious life, to live with urgency, to respond to him with the same readiness as his first disciples. Throughout scripture, there are different modes of time that we see. At times, we are called to slow down, to slip into a different time zone and Sabbath and rest with God. And other times, we are called to move with haste, to press forward with kingdom work that cannot wait. This story is a reminder that the hourglass of life is flipped and the sand is running. And not only should we live fully, But we should make sure to measure our minutes doing what counts. In the New Testament, there are two different words that are used for time. One of them is chronos. It is used 54 times. This is qualitative. It refers to a specific amount of time like minutes or days or hours. We know Kronos time really well. We are a culture that monitors Kronos time. We live by the clock. We measure our days by the hours left to get everything done. And we love to claim the myth that we never have enough time. The other word for time is Kairos. It's used 86 times. It is qualitative. It refers to the time when God acts to the appointed time of God's work, to the time of harvest, to the opportune time to do the right thing. Here, the disciples are being called to embark on a Kairos journey to claim a life measured by seizing opportune moments to advance Christ's kingdom. And so, we too 
are called to turn away from our wristwatch and listen for the beckoning of Christ in unanticipated times and unexpected places, to worry less about having enough time and more about what we are doing with our precious time, to live by a timetable where the time is always right to do the right thing. In other words, the sometimes monotonous, strenuous, chronos life may cause you to miss the kairos life. The opportune times when God acts and invites you to act with God. I honestly cannot think of a more urgent time to join Jesus in bringing about the kingdom of heaven. No matter our interpretation of the events that unfolded this week, most of us are confused Worried, grieved, unsettled, what we witnessed was frightening and unlike anything we have seen in our lifetime. I sense it. I feel this heaviness and weariness among us. We are tired of the division. We are tired of any form of power that threatens our livelihood as a people seeking wholeness. But it may be just in this moment of despair when we are searching for answers and unsure what to do that we are ripe for a Kairos moment with God. We are yearning for the inbreaking of his kingdom of nonviolence and righteousness and justice and truth. We need the light of his presence. We need him to show us how to fish for people, how to have hearts full of hope instead of hopelessness, how to have eyes to see and ears to hear one another. And this story shows us that if we want to join in this life-giving work that we are called to do, we must enter a posture of surrender. And perhaps today that means that we need to lay down our verbal weapons, our preconceived notions and sweeping generalizations about groups of people. We need to look beyond the first gaze that acts out of defensiveness and self-preservation onto the second gaze that thinks critically and compassionately. We need to suspend our harsh thoughts and our anger quiet down and sit with Jesus, watch him, and learn his unforced rhythms of grace. How we steward our chronos time is what will lead us into kairos action. The truth is, Jesus' call on your life is hard. Christ's kingdom requires every piece of you your full allegiance. And it is not an allegiance that allows you to ignore the world or its rulers or escape from its hard realities. It is an allegiance that beckons you to co-labor with Christ to bring about the change you wish to see. So today, like the fishermen, we may not know where we are going or what we will be asked to do next. But we know that the presence of Christ's light and his lordship over our lives is better than the condition we are in. So if you are exhausted and depleted and, and really don't know what to do next, do not grow weary in doing good. For at the proper time, you will reap the harvest of Kairos' work. It may not feel like it, but... As kingdom people, as Christ followers, we were actually made for such a time as this. 
May we respond to God's call to drop everything and follow him. Amen. As our musicians come out and we prepare for our sermon response today, I want to offer you a practice that I have been doing for the last two weeks every night before I go to bed. I have been practicing breathing, and I have used these words. Breathe in the peace of Christ. Breathe out the chaos within. Breathe in the peace of Christ. Breathe out the chaos within. As you breathe and listen and sing, I invite you to get in a posture of surrender. That may mean simply putting your hands out. It might mean getting on your knees. It might mean laying flat down on your face. As you sing, as you listen, as you breathe, surrender your fears, surrender your worry, surrender your life. God has got you. God is going to show you what to do next. <laughs>